And there's times when uh, some of our people behind all that, which I'm so grateful for every volunteer who did everything to make that happen, but they'll start talking and it's almost like they talk a different language. You had that experience? I, the, the words, I get the words, but they put, putting them together in that sentence, it doesn't make sense to me. I have no idea what they're talking about. They just totally left me. You know, there's sometimes where I think I know computers a little bit, and then you get around somebody who really does, and it's just, it's over. You just can't, you can't communicate anymore. But the sad thing is that as Christians, our goal is to get people to understand this faith and have the experience with God that we have had. And learn to know the freedom that Christ brings and the forgiveness and the the idea that your life can be totally, totally different than the way it is now. But But if we use words and terminology that keeps people from understanding, and if our words actually work against us and it defeats the whole purpose... Last week, we talked a little bit about grace and how deep of a concept that is. The idea that in Christ and Christianity, we are given what we do not deserve. Because if we got what we deserved, it would be justice. But really, in reality, none of us want justice because none of us are perfect enough to stand before a perfect God and to say, hey, take me as I am. And none of us, you know, a lot of times what we do is we, we just compare ourselves to other people, but that's not really perfection. That's just me compared to them. I feel better. And of course, the way I compare is I try to find some little thing that may, I might be a little bit better in. And that's not how it works. Really, the only comparison is God's comparison. And none of us match up to that. So in his grace, because he loves us that much, he pays the price. And he put himself before us. And when he did that, that is the very definition of grace. You know what I've noticed over the years, but certainly a lot lately is, have you ever noticed people mocking the concept of prayer? Like you might see there there might be an event, you know, a tragedy or something, and people say they're praying. And then other people write in there and they say, you know, well, why don't you do something? And I, I, you know, I remember the first few times I saw that, I thought, wow, that is, that's rude. That's really what I thought. And then I thought, how intolerant and judgmental. But, but people do that. You know what that is? They don't understand. They just do not understand what prayer is. You know what it reminds me of? I don't know if you've ever done this, but did, did you ever have a situation? Maybe you're in school and you turned in papers and the teacher passed them out and gave you the wrong one. Did it ever happen? And as you start reading it, you're like, I didn't write this. That's not me. You ever ha- has that ever happened? Or maybe you've had this happen. This just happens to me as a pastor a lot where someone will hand me something to read and I will try to read it, but because it's not the way I, re- I talk, it's difficult for me to read the way someone else talks. Does that make sense? It's, just, it's like the words aren't in the same order. Or they don't use the, cor- the, not correct, but the words I would use. So because of that, as I'm reading, it doesn't flow the way I would talk. So it, it becomes difficult. And I think that's one of the problems, and it's kind of a Christianese thing where we talk about prayer, but people don't get it. They don't understand it, and because they don't understand it, they mock it. Just don't have experience with it. You know, I've I've heard, you know, the atheists would say it's wish fulfillment, or they say it's an excuse to do nothing. That the same people who are going to send good thoughts or put a hashtag up or do a rant online would say it's an excuse to do nothing. Here's what they don't get. Prayer... Prayer is supposed to be a two-way conversation between you and God. And I know, I know that this is a very abstract concept because we're praying to a God that, that we can't see. And you don't, you don't really just touch him. And it's not like all of that. But, but if you have a relationship with him and the more you know him, the more that that makes sense. And the more real and real he becomes. And I don't know about you, but there's been times where 
Um, this, this happened to me this week where I had a close call on the freeways. Anybody had that happen? And you pray? <laughs> My guess is that a lot of people pray whether they believe in God or not. Then in a moment like that, that, that from within their spirit and heart, they're crying out, if there's anybody out there who can help me. Now, of course, we don't verbalize it that way. It's more like, oh, God, help. But in that moment, what we're really saying is, if it's possible that there's a higher being that could actually intervene in my life right now, I need it now. I don't know if you've ever had that experience. And seeing God do something that changes everything. Maybe you're in a situation with a friend or a relative or somebody who you deeply care about. And you've tried to communicate what, what you think and, the, and the, the issue and they just don't seem to get it. And you've found yourselves at a point where you can't get anywhere. And what do you do? You might whisper, God, help us. I, I don't know what to say now. Even in this current situation, there may be times in frustration or just, just where you're just out of ideas. And you say, God, we need you. And what we need to know is he's working all the time. But it's not supposed to be a monologue. And maybe for you, maybe part of the problem is it has become a monologue. Have you ever done that, though? Have you ever been talking to somebody and you realize, like, I haven't said anything in, like, two minutes? They've been talking the whole time. Have you ever had that experience? And they don't ever take a breath, and they just keep going, and then all of a sudden it's over, and you're like, well, that was nice. Have you ever had that experience? And you realize, I don't know if they were really talking to me or at me, or, you know, they weren't really asking my opinion or my thought about anything. They were just basically saying something. Do you ever wonder if God feels like that? That if maybe we just kind of go on and on and on and on and on? It's funny because <clears throat> maybe you've been talking to somebody on the phone, and and you can tell that they're not really clued in. You ever had that happen? <laughs> you're talking and you're, you're waiting for those natural, there, there's those natural words that we use to just keep the conversation going. And a lot of times they're, they're not really words. Almost, it's almost like, like, you know, that, uh-huh. Oh, I, yeah. Oh, I know what you mean. Oh, that's horrible. Right? And you feel like they're listening then. But then there's times where you're like, hey, did I lose you? Oh, no, 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 I'm here. I'm here. Like, okay, are you really here? Because... Doesn't feel like you're here. I don't know. Have you ever had that experience? You're talking to somebody and they're just distracted, or sadly, sometimes it happens in person and you're looking at them and you realize they're looking kind of past you and you're like, um, what's going on? Their eyes just kind of glaze over and drift off. And I don't know. I, I think about that because there's a lot of times when, even in a healthy relationship, there can be a breakdown in communication because. We're talking, but we're not really listening. And I don't know if you've thought about that before, but, but really any healthy relationship is built like that. You can't have a, a real healthy relationship without that back and forth, without that two-way communication. It's got to be like that. You've got you to hear, hear them and then be heard. It's gotta, you've got to have it both ways. It, do, it doesn't work that way unless you have that. And, and really... <clears throat> how do you let someone know that you're hearing them? It's, it's more than almost just saying those words. It's, it's really an important term. And, and I think even in this race issue, it's, here's a good word to, to use, to think about. It's, it's validation. Here's what I mean by that. If you're going to listen to somebody, you can validate them without really fully comprehending everything they're telling you, or even in some cases agreeing. But it's the fact that you're validating what someone else has experienced they need to know that you've heard them, that you care about it. I don't know if I've told this example before. I hesitate to say it even, but I was in this situation years ago, and I had a, a student, and, and because of something that happened, I couldn't let him go to camp. It was, it was a bad situation. And I met with the parent, told him, 
Then I got a call from the executive pastor and said um, that the parent didn't feel heard. I said, I heard everything. And I, I repeated back the whole conversation. And they said, well, yeah, yeah I, don't think, um, I don't think they feel like you heard them, though. I'm like, well, what am I supposed to do? And so she kind of opened my eyes to this. She said, well, when you talk to them again, and you need to do that, <laughs> she said, um, why don't you repeat back what they said? I'm like, just repeat it back? It's, what good will that do? She says, it'll tell them you, they heard you. You heard them. I'm like, okay. So I did that. It was the weirdest experience at the moment. Because I did that, and they said, oh, okay. Problem solved. I'm like, what? <laughs> I heard them before. But, but I didn't communicate that I heard them. Then there's another level to that. You, you can actually take that to another, another level where you paraphrase what they said back. And, and when you do that, it shows them and it validates that you've heard what they've experienced. It doesn't mean you fully get it. It doesn't mean you've felt the same thing. What it means is that you care and you heard them. You listened to them. So when I mention that kind of thing, of course, between human beings, it's one thing. But when we talk about that with God, how do you do that? How do you get that sense of back and forth? Is it possible to even have that? I think it is. But here's the thing. If all you do in prayers basically kind of tell God everything that he should do, and I think this is what happens. A lot of times, even with experienced Christians, where our prayer life ends up becoming something where we feel like it's not going through the ceiling or even past our lips, or we wonder if it's even being heard. And I think part of the problem is because, because he's not doing exactly what we want, I'm, not, I'm trying to not hurt your feelings, but not exactly what you want, when you want, or how you want. And so what we do a lot of times is assume that either he's not listening or just not there. And in truth, what is happening sometimes is he's working situations and details because the world and our life is so complicated. And for us, a lot of times it's, well, no, the solution's right here. Just ask me. I got, a, I got the answer to everything. And you tell God, and yet God is working like a master chess player, moves way beyond you. And then if this person does this, he's going to do this and this and this and this. And he's working it all to his glory. But a lot of times we can't see it because our version of what needs to happen is so limited and small. And God is always, always, always working. Sometimes it's a monologue and we never actually listen. I don't know, have you ever done that? Whereas you're praying, you're telling God, God, I really need to hear from you. Now I'm going to be quiet and listen. I know that gets awkward. You know, scientists have done all these studies, psychologists, scientists, where uh, most Americans, because we're so used to talking, this isn't true in every culture, but most Americans can't stand more than 30 to 45 seconds of silence in a conversation. Did you know that? You ever tried it? You ever done this? I'm not going to do it today because it would just be awkward. But if I just was quiet for a minute and timed it out, we would all be sitting here like, okay, this is weird. And the thing is, when we're praying a lot of times, we never stop and think, God, what do you want to say to me? Or God, this situation, I don't see an answer. What are you trying to show me? God, is it possible that this is something where you're trying to teach something in me or, or grow something in me? And if that's true, what would it be? And we actually stop and listen. And we say, God, I'm listening. I'm listening. I want to hear from you, and I'm listening. I don't know about you, but I fill my life with busyness and noise all the time. I just do. 
I mean, most of the time, even when I'm watching a TV show, I'm playing a game on my phone at the same time. I mean, we just have this, and we're so full that we don't ever stop and say, God, I want to dialogue with you. How are you going to know him? And you might, you might be saying, and I've mentioned this before. I had a gentleman, I, I'll never forget. He was sitting right, right where actually Pastor Jeremy is. And it was a Wednesday night, and after I was done speaking, he came up and he said, you keep saying God speaks. What, what, how does that work? Is it, is it like in your ear? Do you, do you hear him hear him? And I, I looked at him and I thought, you know what? That is an incredibly fair question to ask. It's Christianese, right? We say that all the time, that God speaks. And here's the truth. He does speak all the time. It's just, it's not like a voice very, I mean, I've never heard a voice voice. Typically, I I feel an impression or a thought or God speaks to me in his word. I mean, there's times where I'm reading and it could be passages I've read before. And as I'm reading and, and maybe it's something I'm going through and I just have this incredible impression like this is new word for today for me. That happened to me this week. It was just, it was just right in my face. And I, there's times where God uses people. For a lot of us, he uses our spouse. And for some of us, we may not want to hear it that way, but he does. For some of us, it's going to be friends. For some of us, it may be just a stranger. And you're praying about something. You're like, God, I need to hear. And, and I want to hear from you. And then somebody walks into your life or says something. And you think, oh, my goodness, that was from God. For me, right now, he speaks like that. Sometimes it's, it's bigger things than that. But let me, let me just say, though, as you're doing that, and as you're feeling these impressions, there's something very, very powerful that he says to do. There's, there's a verse that says to pray for our enemies. You ever do that? Pray for God's good in their lives. Pray for God to work in their spirits and yours and, and to find a solution that way. A lot of times we pray that God would just get them out of our way, right? Or change them or work on them. And we forget the fact that for some of us, for sometimes, it's really difficult to hate somebody that you're praying for. Because you start to care about them like God does. Because the truth is, God loves each and every one of us, and he cares and knows about every layer of our lives. And because of that, he loves us in a way deeper than we could ever imagine. And with that, when you pray for somebody, his heart starts to change your heart, and you change your attitude toward those people. It changes things. Let me, let me read to you. One of, one of Jesus' earliest followers, he was a tax collector, and his book, the book of Matthew, is the first in the Christian part of the Bible. And as you read it, it's interesting because, because he was a tax collector and because probably that was his nature to be super organized and orderly, he's got his book separated into these sections. And, you know, sometimes you'll have a section of dialogue. Jesus is talking to maybe the religious ruler. Sometimes it'll be a section of teaching, and then there will be a section of miracles. And it's fun to read it and think about that author and how he wrote that. And here's, this comes right directly from what we call the Sermon on the Mountain, because when Matthew introduces this section of uh, sermon Jesus preached, he says Jesus said it and he was standing on a mountain. <clears throat> Starts here in, in chapter 5, verse 43. You have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Can you imagine what our world would be like today if that was the case? Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the just and unjust alike. And if you love only those who love you, what reward is, that, is there for that? Even the corrupt tax collectors do that much. Isn't that funny that Matthew wrote that? <laughs> if you are kind only to your friends, how, how are you different from anyone else? Even the pagans do that. But you are to be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Do you want to see real change? Then you change all of this. I mean, real change. It starts in us. 
It starts in us, changing in us, and then people, and then situations. It works that way. There's so many more layers than you could ever, ever imagine. And when you do that, you know, what happens is as you pray and you put those things before God, and then you start to trust him for those things, he changes things not only in the real world, but also in the spiritual world and between you and him. That's why in the book of Philippians, this is written by the Apostle Paul, the one who started so many churches and wrote so many of the books in the, in the Christian part of the Bible. He says, Philippians uh, verses 4, 6 to 7, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and then thank him for all he's done. And then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. It requires faith, though, right? You've got to believe that God would do those things. You've got to actually trust that he's going to make a difference in all of those things. It requires faith. But I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to give you a secret here. It actually doesn't require as much faith as you think. Because we serve a God who knows who we are. He created us. And he, if you walk toward him, he runs towards you. The truth is, whatever little faith you may have, you may look at him and say, God, I know that that I have maybe walked away or maybe, maybe I have not been praying because I just haven't seen changes. And maybe that, that has become a, a, a break in our relationship. But I, I want to come back. I want to be closer to you in that way. And as you tell him that and you express some of that faith, he will reward that and come to you in a huge way. That's what he does. <laughs> he... he As we come to him willingly, he knows you've had disappointments. He knows that. As you walk toward him, he responds to that. And Jesus' brother James, when he wrote in his letter, he says, come close to God and God will come close to you. That's a principle. As you come close to God, he comes close to you. It's a relationship thing. It's just like in your marriages or in your relationships. You come close to that relationship, they come close to you. It's not just asking for things and demanding things and wanting it just your way or putting limitations and standards and saying, if you don't do it my way, then I'm not going to believe in you. It's not like that. He's actually calling you to know him in a deeper and more, more, uh, a more conversational way where you talk to him and then you actually listen. He wants you to know him. He wants you to know his heart because he's good. His heart is good. When you start to spend time with him, you start to know his heart and his heart for other people. And you know it is good. And maybe you don't realize this, but there's a battle going on, not just in our world, but in the spirit, in the world. It's a, it's a battle for your soul, for your heart. That's why uh, Jesus, when he was speaking, he, he said at one point, he said, the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. But I have come to give you life and life that is rich and satisfying. That's what Jesus said. But don't forget the enemy is out to fool you. See, all this started way back in the garden. You know, the, the enemy comes to Eve and he gets her to doubt that God is good and doubt that God was trying to do the best thing for her. And really famous story. Some of you have probably read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, or maybe you've seen the movies, I don't know. But C.S. Lewis, when he writes that, it's, a, it's an incredible allegory about God, about Jesus. And there's a part of the story where there's these four kids and they've run into this character. His, his name, he's a beaver. His name's Mr. Beaver. 
And he's telling the young kids about Aslan, who's, who's the Jesus figure. And um, at this point, Susan, one of the girls, she, she believes that Aslan's a man at this point. She thinks that he's a strong ruler that is going to overthrow the wicked witch. And then the beaver says, um, he points out that Aslan is actually a great and powerful lion. So this is just a fun part of the story. Susan, Susan she's kind of astonished and confused, and she says, well, is he safe? And it's funny because the beaver replies, he says, of course he isn't safe, but he's good. I want you to really hold that and understand it. He's not safe, but he's good. He's good. He's the king. I think there's a lot of times we as believers, we, we forget that he's good. He's the king. Maybe you're not a Christian today. Maybe you, you haven't really understood this at all. And maybe for, for you, it might have been Christianese that's confused you, or it might be Christians that, that for some reason maybe haven't lived up to whatever you thought the ideal of Christianity would be. Maybe you're watching online and you've never even considered Christ before. But for some reason you're thinking, if this is true, if he really loves me, and he cares about me. And he was willing to send his son to pay for my, the things that I did that were wrong. If he's really that good, then I would try to give him a chance. And if that's you, anywhere here or online, I want you to tell you it's a simple process. Basically, it's you being honest about the fact that we've all done things that are wrong. And we can't fix it by ourselves. Instead, we need somebody to fix it for us. And God has already done that. So when you acknowledge that he sent his son to fix it and to die for our sins, and you accept that into your life, you ask him to forgive you, he literally changes your life and helps you to live a different life. We're going to pray in a minute. And as I pray, I've said this before, but I don't want you to just listen. I want you to pray along with me. And if, if you're listening here online or if you're here in the room, you can just pray right along with me and express yourself the way I am. Maybe you're in the room or online today and you as a Christian, you felt kind of the distant from God and maybe you realize even as we're talking here that there's been a separation between you and your relationship with God and your prayer life has started to diminish and maybe it's because of one of those things I mentioned but, but you feel and you can feel a tug in your spirit and your heart where God is saying, I want that relationship with you. It's up to you to restore that today. Let's, let's pray together. Father, we, we come before you today and we know that there are things that we have done that were wrong that we can't make up for and we can't make them right, but we want them to be right. God, we're, we're sorry for the things that we've done that were wrong and we're grateful that your son has paid the price for us already. We, we realize that, we acknowledge it, and we want his forgiveness to come into our lives and, and take away all of the things that we've done that were wrong. Make us new today. For those of us who have already been Christ followers, but maybe we felt a separation and a distance from you, God. We want to restore that. I pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, that you would help us as we restore it. And as we walk toward you, just like, just like James said, that you will come to us. We trust for you that, for that, and we know it's true. And we thank you for those things. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you today. Pastor Jeremy's coming to close our service.